Good to see you here this morning. Glad you're here. We're launching a new message series today, and the focus is identity, which led to the name of the series, Identity. (laughs) Um, It's not something we necessarily think about very often, identity, but in many ways a good life flows from a strong identity. So our topic over the next eight weeks is vital to fulfilling God's purpose for us and enjoying life. We're going to walk through uh, the book of 1 Peter from the Bible, uh, different passages there. Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers while Jesus lived on earth. And so we're going to take a journey through the book he wrote. He writes from a very personal vantage point. As someone who walked with Jesus while he uh, was in the flesh and bones that we're in uh, ourselves, we'll be looking at key passages that should guide a Christ follower's thinking about identity. And today, I want to start laying a foundation for our thinking that will help as we walk through First uh, Peter. Uh, there's some backdrop definitions and understandings that will be a real help as we talk and walk through the book First Peter. So first, what is identity? Identity is who I am at the core of my being. To a great extent, our choices flow out of the grasp we have of who we are at the core of our being. A flawed understanding of our identity makes us weak at the core and leads to making foolish decisions, and they will wall us off from from God's blessing for our lives. If you aren't yet a committed follower of Christ, what I hope is that this series helps you understand more of how following Christ can be the beginning step for you to a very purposeful and enjoyable life. There are great identity-shaping statements in Scripture that help us grasp our identity from God's vantage point. And they're not just statements. They're tied to reality, the way God intended it to be lived out. And so... We're going to look at a couple of those this morning in the first couple of verses of 1 Peter. But if we gain an understanding of what God thinks about us, it strengthens us to the core and helps us find the courage to live the best life possible. So what we'll see in the Bible is that design is an essential part of our identity. So God's made us in a certain way. This is the the biblical understanding of identity. He's made us in a certain way intentionally. The Bible shows that our identity has a solid bedrock in our creator. And when, when we think about it, when you step back and look at it, identity is both assigned, 
by God and chosen by us. Our identity is assigned because we are created beings. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis shows here that God has assigned an identity to me. And I'm going to do best if I accept that he's made me a certain way. This is the understanding of Scripture. And if I accept that and then grow in my ability to live aligned with the way God has made me, I'm going to do better than otherwise. It's not an accident that you're male or female and wired in a certain way. God, God built this all into you. So our identity is assigned by God. Secondly, our identity is also chosen. It's something we choose. In other words, we aren't forced to align with the way that God has made us. This, this is also the perspective of Scripture. You find out that God's a gentleman. He's not going to force his way on you and I. We choose whether or not to include God in our understanding of who we are. The decision to trust God has the greatest impact on our identity because our grasp of who we are in relationship to God determines the path that we take to develop our self-concept, which grows out of our identity. We think about ourselves a certain way, and it, it impacts our identity and the way we live that out. Now, in our day and age, identity is pretty much up for grabs. It's viewed as something I choose. No matter how I was born, I can choose my identity. And it's, it's true, you can choose the way you look at yourself. God is not going to force you and I to accept our assigned identity. So, what happens though, if, if we don't accept our assigned identity is there's a bunch of confusion. Um, it, it, basically, we get confused if we don't line up with God's assignment to us, and we begin to float on the sea of identity like a ship without an anchor. This, this is what happens. So in our world today, though, it's popular to focus on our choice, our ability to choose our identity. And we do have the freedom to do that. Now, I'd like to show you a video right here of if, if I were one of the people being interviewed by the man who's doing the interviews in the video, I might be a little annoyed because he's one of those guys that pushes you to give an answer for something that maybe you haven't thought of the implications of it. And he, he sort of does that. But the reason I want you to see this video is it illustrates the confusion that can come as we focus on the choice of identity over the assigned one. Here, here it is. 
There's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside, I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. So if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason you need to do that now. If that's where you feel, like, mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're 6'5". If you truly believed you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong, like, that's wrong to believe in it, because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six-foot-five Chinese woman. Yeah. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six-foot-five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you're six foot five, or Chinese, or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? So, like I said, the reason I want to show that is. 
when when you decide not to align up with your assigned identity, you float like a ship without an anchor on the sea of that identity. God is not going to force us to accept it. But the Bible makes a strong case for living in line with our assigned identity. Its, its perspective shows there's a reality to who you and I are. It's a gift from God. And understanding our identity before God is the key to unpacking the gift. So this is what we're looking at in this series, and I hope this series helps you clarify for yourself what the Bible says about identity so that you can build your identity more and more on that solid foundation that God has given us. Now, the concept we develop about ourselves can change over a lifetime because we have two aspects of identity. There, There are two. There's the primary identity that we have, which is who I am at the core of my being. And there is a legitimate secondary identity that we have, which is based on the roles we play and the labels we choose or the labels that are given to us. Some of them we wouldn't choose, but they've sort of sunk into us because people have given them to us. Now, we, we can really mess ourselves up by putting a role we play or a label at the center of our identity. These are not intended to be at the center of who we are. There can be, though, a pull like gravity toward doing this. And when we do, we're on a weak, shaky foundation. It is not bedrock. It is sand. God's the source of our primary identity and everything else is secondary compared to our worth in him. He, he's like a source, uh, say like a, a water source, a well that never runs dry. If you put him in the center of your life and you live your life out of who he has made you to be, he promises to be like a well that never runs dry. Like a, Jesus said, I, I, if you follow me, I, it will be like a river of flowing waters coming up from inside of you. This, this, is, this is the promise from God. If we try to put a role we play or take a label and put it in the center, we try to drink from it dries up very quickly. It, it just dries up. It's just not intended to, that, to be that. Some of the roles that we play that can vie for the center are related to family life. We're husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. We're children. We're brothers and sisters. Our, our family life and, and background are definitely a part of our identity. God made you and put you in your family. So there's a degree to which it shapes our identity, and that's, that's right. But it's not intended to, to substitute for our maker in the center. 
it can be difficult to keep our role in family life out of the center because we're made in a special capacity to play various roles, but not, not a good center, not a good well to try to drink from because it dries up quickly. It will not quench your thirst. Other roles that vie for the center are related to work, uh, career, businessman, homemaker. This definitely shapes our concept of ourselves, but, but crumbles if we try to make it our core identity. A hobby or a sport, something we enjoy becomes so important that we begin to view ourselves through the filter of it. Now, for, for a while, I was really into baseball. And I, that was vying for the center of my identity at one point. I saw myself almost exclusively as a baseball player. And then you would tag, okay, well, I'm a Christ-following baseball player onto that. But I can tell you, baseball player isn't a good core identity. You get hurt. People don't choose you (laughs) for their team. Things go wrong. And so, not a good core. A special interest or cause can fight to make its way to the center of our identity as well. Uh, like animal lover. Now, it's okay to be animal, you know, to love animals. I, the scripture says we need to take care of them. But not a great core identity. Another identity that kind of forces its way into the center today is protester. I'm just going to protest everything. And, you know, it's, it's okay to have a cause that you're willing to fight for, but not a good center. Again, other, other roles or labels relate to sexual orientation. That can fight to be the core. So can a medical or a mental diagnosis. That can fight for the core. In the Bible, we're shown that if we try to make a secondary piece of our identity the core, we suffer. And so does everybody that's attached to us. Everybody around us suffers. There's suffering and confusion when we take a secondary piece of our identity and we try to make it our core identity. Here's the good news. Once we decide to follow Jesus Christ, he gives a new identity and connects us to God in a way that can radically change our understanding of ourselves. It's amazing what God does. And he, he, he changes you at the core of who you are. And then if we cooperate with him, stay in step with what he's doing in our lives, it, it can radically change every aspect of ourselves and our lives and the way we relate to people and the way we live our life. This, this is a gift from God that he's given. So today we're going to look at the first two verses of First Peter, because they are packed with so much information about our identity in Christ. Here's what they say. First Peter 1, 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Interesting, isn't it? Of the dispersion. So he's talking to brand new believers. 
He, he gives them the name elect exiles. We'll dive into that in a little bit. Uh, they're in, and they're in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Christ followers have a new prime identity. We're going to unpack that a little bit this morning, and that's what this series is about. In verse 1, Peter calls the relatively new Christians by a name that applies to all of us. I'm just going to leave the verse on the screen as I walk through it so you can follow along. But he says they're elect exiles of the dispersion. That word just means they've been scattered. And he's writing to both Jews and non-Jews. But the Jews he was writing to would keep it in mind that the dispersions of the past where they were scattered throughout the world. And so that that word is just referring to the fact that we as Christians were were all over the place and God put us there for for a reason. And so that's the idea there. The the reason he names... uh, the other Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. These, these are the names of Roman provinces in Asia Minor at the time, mostly modern-day Turkey, where this letter was to be delivered and read. So this is a letter. This, this is basically the postal delivery route the messenger took from one place to the other. So that's why all, that's all there. What I'd like to do is focus on that phrase, elect exiles. One, one guy I was reading said, that's a two-word sermon. <laughs> and it, it really is. It's a two-word sermon. Because there is so much we can unpack about who we are in Christ in those two words. First of all, the word exile refers to a temporary resident in a foreign place. You're just temporary. You're there for a little bit. Um, I, I think expat would be a better word, expatriate, which means you're, you're a patriot of another country, but you're living out, ex, out of that country in another place. You may not think this way, but when I hear the word exile, I think of Siberia. You know, like being exiled, you know, you're a criminal, or perceived to be a criminal, an enemy of the state, and you're exiled somewhere. So I I choose expat. I think that's better. But the sense here is that we're not at home here on this earth. We're not home. We're not home yet. Our home is heaven. And our time on earth is only temporary. This is crucial because viewing ourselves as an expat in this world helps us to handle life in a way that pleases God. If you're living, if you're holding on to this world and you're living for everything that's going on here, you make very different choices than if you're an expat or an exile on this earth. Uh, We'll see more about this as we walk through the message and the series. The adjective elect, 
begins to give us a sense of our great worth before God. We are chosen by God. The idea is that Christ followers are chosen from a group of people who are not chosen and are included among God's people by choice of someone else. Now, this this is a great privilege and blessing. The word chosen reveals our status before God, our value to him, our worth before him. Now, the way I'm wired, when I was on the playground and we were choosing up sides for the basketball teams, um, I, I didn't, you know, and, and maybe there's an odd number of people, so one of the guys is going to be left out. I really felt bad for the guy who got left out, who didn't get chosen in time. That, that may, and so reading something like elect exile in this passage may make you feel like, oh. So if, if Christ followers are chosen, maybe other people aren't quite chosen in the same way and Wow, how do I recognize, how do I reconcile that? I, I, it makes me feel bad. But what you see in Scripture is that God loves the entire world, and He wants everyone to come to Him. The way He works in this choosing is a mystery. In other words. We, we can solve this mystery as we get into Scripture and really understand what it's saying here. And I don't want to get stuck on this. But we solve the mystery for ourselves by choosing. When, when you choose, you are chosen. And I, I do not know how those things work out. God's, God's got a mind that he's figured all of this out. It all makes sense. It's all right and just. But when you choose to commit your life to Christ, you discover that you're chosen by God. He's chosen you. All of this has major implications for our identity in Christ. We are chosen by the king of the universe to be his own people with all the protection, benefits, and future inheritance in heaven that comes with it. Wow, it's a two-word sermon, elect exiles. Verse, first verse of First Peter is power-packed with vital information about our core identity in Christ. There's more to uncover in verse 2. Our part in all of this is to keep our new identity in focus as we live each day. Check out verse 2. According to, so we've been made elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, there, there are three phrases here that I'd like to unpack as we continue. Uh, they'll give us more of a grasp on our identity and what God's doing in our lives as we walk with him and uh, they'll show us our part in living our purpose each day. The first phrase, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father, the word foreknowledge carries a much deep, carries a much deeper meaning than God knows for a fact that you are 
elect exiles in Asia Minor. Much deeper than it's a fact. God knows the fact. The meaning of this word, if you get into the Greek that it was originally written in, shows that God has a personal, loving knowledge of you and I. Very personal. And the idea is that God knew us in this personal, loving way before we were born. In fact, before the world was made, he had us in mind. If, if we could soak up this truth of the kind of love that God has for us, it would radically change the way we approach this life and living here. The second phrase in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit or of the Spirit, th- these are, this is a reference to the Trinity. God is not like human beings. I'm, frank, I'm frankly thankful for that. If I could fit God into a human box, I, that would be scary. So he is three persons in one being. He's the Father, he's the Spirit, and he's the Son. All one being. And so what he's showing here, what Peter's showing here, is that this is how the different persons of the Godhead relate to one another as we live our lives. This is what they're doing. They're doing different things. And so he refers to the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, what that means is, basically, he is changing us to be more like Christ, to be more holy and like God. And so... um, This is what he's using, and he uses the circumstances in our lives to do that. Now, there's a lot of hope in understanding what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives through through the life we live. In in the, the Bible, we learn that when a person gives their life to follow Jesus Christ, they make him the Lord and boss of their life, they're immediately immersed into what's called the realm of the spirit now we have a choice from that point on whether to live in the realm of the spirit or to live in the realm of the flesh which is our old way according to our old strategies but when you come to christ you're immersed in the realm of the spirit and what this means is that there's this unseen unheard activity of god's holy spirit that surrounds us almost like a spiritual atmosphere. And if we kept keep in step with him, then we live in the realm of the spirit and he turns every circumstance, every sorrow, every hardship into a tool to make us more like Christ. This is what he's doing. Now, how could that radically change our understanding of who we are and the circumstances we're living in right now? We're elect exiles. We're not going to live forever here. We're, our home is heaven. Oh, that's going to be way better than, well, that's an understatement. I can't say enough about the difference in comparison to living life on this earth. We're, we're elect exiles. We're just here. We're expats. We're chosen expats that are here for a short amount of time. 
And on top of that, out of his kindness, God is using everything, the good and bad and the ugly, to, to change us, to make us more like him. Wow. How does that change your view of your circumstances? First of all, they're not a waste. The things you're going through are not a waste. They won't be wasted by God. He will use them for your good. This, this is what this passage is saying here. God is using them to change us to be more like him. Now, the third and final phrase that I want to look at in verse 2 gives direction to our daily lives. It says, uh, you know, we're elect exiles. We've been chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, the sprinkling with his blood, I'm just going to say this about it. That would bring to mind in, in the minds of the Jewish readers a sacrifice. Because what God did was he set up the system of the law in the Old Testament to teach us the need for sacrifice to be forgiven. And so the sprinkling of the blood, what they would do is they would sacrifice the animal and then they would sprinkle the blood on uh, the doorstep or on the doorpost and that would bring forgiveness. So blood was sprinkled to bring God's forgiveness through sacrifices. And of course, this calls to mind the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. This is what this is about. It's, it's Jesus who has sacrificed once for all. There's no more need for the law. There's no more need to sacrifice animals to be forgiven. And so this would all come to mind as they're reading this passage. The idea is that, here's, here's the idea that we can take away. We live each day with the aim of doing what Jesus said, and when we mess up, we're forgiven. That's what, that, you know, when he was writing this, it made perfect sense to the people who were reading it. But we read that, we're like, whoa, we, we were chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ with, for sprinkling of his blood. What in the world does that mean? This is what it means. We're chosen to obey God. We're not going to do that perfectly. When we mess up, we're forgiven. And it's the forgiveness of God and the grace of God that motivates us to continue to obey him. So it's, it's a loop. <laughs> you know, the, the, we, we, we set out to obey God in the morning. Usually, by early in the day, I've already messed up. Something I thought, something I did, something I said. I, I've already messed up. So I need his forgiveness. Because Jesus Christ sacrificed once and for all for our sins, we have it. We just need to go to him and confess and ask God to forgive. He forgives immediately. That's the promise in the scripture. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. We have what we need to keep going and get back on track to set out to obey him. That's the, is that? Great or what? <laughs> I mean, fantastic. Now I'd like to show you a video that brings together a lot of what I've talked about. And I hope you'll be okay with me showing this and not be too insulted in your level of intelligence. 
but I get a lot out of it myself, so that's why I'm showing it. Um, several years ago, a best-selling book was titled All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten by Robert Fulgham. Now, I'm not, I'm not recommending that you read this book, but it's a fun title, and it makes point. Um, there are some basics that we need to grasp, and if we hold on to them, they provide a great foundation for our lives. And I would add, I, I would say, you, you know, we, we learn a lot of what we need to know in kid zone in Sunday school. There are some basics that if we could grasp them, uh, it would be a real help to us. So <clears throat> here's a video that was made for kid zone age kids. That's why I'm saying all that. Um, but it lays out some truths that we've been talking about very clearly, and it's very helpful. Let's watch this. Today we're talking about identity. That's kind of a big word, but identity just means who you are. Let me break it down for you. Maybe you're a guitar player, but that's not who you are. Maybe you're really funny. That's not who you are either. Maybe you're adopted, or you really like sports, or you wear glasses, or you're a brother, or a sister, or you like science or you're an artist. Those things might all be a part of you, but they're not who you are. Because all those little things that are a part of you are just that, one part of you. They don't make you you, God does that. The only real identity you have, the thing that makes you who you are, is this. You're made by God and loved by God. You may feel like you're supposed to be a lot of things, but you only need to listen to God. Because he loves you, he's always with you, and he has a plan for you. Because you're his kid. We all are. So we can trust him and follow him wherever he wants to take us. And that, in a nutshell, is identity. I could have just showed that at the beginning. <laughs> That's what I've been trying to say right there. What a difference it could make in our lives if we built them on this identity. Who God's made us to be. How much he loves us. We could trust him and follow him. And he, he could make life good for us as we do that. I'd like to invite you to explore identity with us over the next several weeks. Uh, seven weeks to be exact. Uh, and I think you'll be able to grasp a lot that could help you as you live your life. As the worship team comes back on stage, um, I want to invite you to consider taking a, a step in your growth or toward the Lord uh, uh, making him boss. Uh, will, you, will you take a next step today? Uh, I've given some suggestions here. Uh, actually, guys, I, I realize I'm going to talk a little bit more after the next step, so if you might want to just hang out over there. Sorry to get you up, but <laughs> here, here's some next steps. Um, resist the pull of my roles and labels at the core of who I am. There's a pull to take roles and labels and put them at the core. If you've done that, then identify them and, and resist don't let them take the center. Put God there. 
Um, identify a wrong core is another step of identity and make a shift. Um, maybe you have something at the core. You realize as I've been talking this morning that something other than who God has made you to be and the fact that he loves you is at the core of your identity. You've been, it's shaky. It's not working. And you want to make that shift. Another step would be to read 1 Peter 1 this week. We're going to keep walking through it in the next couple of weeks. And then another step could be to come back for this series. Uh, before I step off the stage, uh, I have an announcement to make. Uh, Church, Church in the Valley is making a big move on March 25th. And we've been talking about making this move. Uh, we're going to... Woodcrest Junior High in Ontario. I mentioned this goal at the 30th anniversary in September. I've mentioned it several times. And we've been trying to find a place to meet uh, in that area. And so we found a place. Here's Woodcrest Junior High School. This, these are the signs. Here's the multi-purpose room that we'll be meeting in. Inside that room is or inside that building is a room <clears throat> that has a full stage and you, you, it's rated to seat 800 people, which this room is too if you blow out the back wall. Um, and then the kids will be in the gym and the nursery is going to be, these buildings are right next to each other. Um, and the nursery is going to be right, right behind the gym, right in all in the same area. Uh, two and a half years ago, we started uh, building an expansion fund. After 28 years of existing as a church, we began to, we'd launched several churches out of us, and that's been our focus. But we realized that uh, we, we wanted to find a more permanent location, uh, either to purchase or to lease, out there in this area where we've determined that we want to be and we sense God leading us to be, it's all dairy land. Right now it's all dairy. There aren't, there aren't very many buildings to lease or buy or, or rent that would work for us. So um, since we started that fund and began looking out there, uh, we we determined that Ontario Ranch area would be the strategic location for us to be because there's a tremendous opportunity there. Uh, there are 150,000 new residents projected to move into this area. Uh, like I said, mostly dairy land right now, but there are going to be a bunch of houses on it. Uh, 47,000 houses or 46,000 houses. Um, Moving to Woodcrest Junior High School will will put us on the western edge of Ontario Ranch. I like that because it's closer to here. Um, I think that's great. This this is a major strategic opportunity for a couple of reasons. The the first one is when so many people are moving into an area, just the change of moving. I'm I'm selling my house right now. And we're, we're moving out there as well. And that is stressful. Okay, selling a house. I did, I've never sold a house before. It's the first house I've owned. Stress. And so what happens if you're 
you're selling a house or you're leaving a place, moving into another area, it opens you up to seeking God because you want an anchor. And so that's a tremendous opportunity for us. And the other thing, if we're going to be meeting at uh, Woodcrest Junior High, we're going to be right in the center of most of our members and attenders. So this is something I didn't see coming. I, I never really wanted to leave Diamond Bar. I love it here. Uh, God has done a lot of work here in Diamond Bar. Um, we've raised our kids here. It, it, I, I'm grateful to be here so long. I love this building. I love the view. I love the beauty of this place. It's awesome. Um, but all of that made it hard to process moving our home and moving the church body out there. And then I realized I, I wasn't called to a geographical location. I came here 30 years ago to plant my life, Lord willing, uh, to start a church. I, I was called to start. I was going to try to get past this part. I was called to start a relational community called Church in the Valley. That's, that's what God called me to do. It doesn't really matter where the geographical location is. But we're, we're a church body that, that God has put together. And so if you live in this area, you're going to live now on what was the center of where our worship is, but you'll be on the western edge now. We're moving. <laughs> and I, I hope you'll join us in our effort to extend God's kingdom uh, by moving into this strategic lotion, uh, location, I, I invite you to do that. Uh, that. That would be great in my mind. Uh, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness. We thank you for this opportunity. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us as we make plans for the move and that you'd go ahead of us and work in the hearts and lives of people who are moving into that area to open them up to seek you out so that they might find you. I pray, God, that you would help us to be diligent to make the most of this and that you would work in and through us as a church body. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.